1: so i know we all want to be booked and busy that is the goal as estheticians but in order to do so we've got to be booked this episode is in partnership with gloss genius made for salons and spas gloss genius is the only business management and payments platform that makes it easy to grow revenue and enhance the client experience from a beautiful online booking site to powerful marketing tools and low payment processing rates gloss genius empowers you to run your full salon in a stylish and smart way while feeling supported at every step for 50% off for two months. Go to the link in the show notes and enter code TTR22F. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the show welcome back to the treatment room i know you've been on so many times but just to give a brief introduction i have one of the most respected names in professional skincare with me today founder of jan marini skin research jan marini herself welcome back to the show thank you tess it's great to be back i've been looking forward to this me too me too and today we have a range of questions, no one topic in particular, but these are some really great, commonly asked questions. So we're going to pick your brain, Jan Marini. Are you ready?
0: I love that. I love to get questions.
1: Awesome. I'm ready. Okay, great. Well, This will be a little bit random, but we'll start with the first one. What is the best age to start using anti aging products or to do procedures?
0: So that's kind of individual, but I'm going to kind of approach this a little bit from a statistical standpoint. So, statistically, the average age that a female will start using a skincare program or routine. Is 25. Now think of this. Think back when maybe the first time you walked up to the clinic counter and you started doing the, you know, it's the the dramatically different the, the soap and the the toner and the dramatically different moisturizer, or you you know went into the drugstore and you bought two or three products. So it's usually 25. Now, 99.9 percent of the time, if I ask somebody before the age of 25 if there's something that could change or improve about their skin, the answer I'm going to get every single time is acne. So you don't hear people under the age of 25 saying things like, oh, well, I really need to have a product because I've got fine lines or I have, you know, all these weird textural changes. So in general, the number one concern is acne. And so we tend to keep the products in that age range very simple. It's really about acne and it's also about protecting the skin. And then as individuals, start to um, go to 25 and past, and they start to have maybe additional concerns, then we can add in other products. But it's always good to keep it really simple. And you know what? For the most part, individuals at that age, they don't have a lot of discretionary income. So keeping it simple and really focusing on the concern and getting their skin really clear, sunscreen, and protecting it.
1: yes. I'm so glad you mentioned the sunscreen. I feel like we're learning so much more about sunscreen and it's been so much more embraced in recent years, but I really kick myself looking back at all the years I spent under the sun, even in tanning beds. Hate to say it, but I did. And it comes I up know. later.
0: That's right. And I I I was born and raised in Southern California and I spent every possible minute i could on the beach trying to either burn or tan you know burns the burn was the way to get your base tan so you always wanted a good burn at the beginning of the summer and by the way guys this is not how you this is not a tanning lesson (laughs) that was a horrible thing to do you know but um i was almost 25 when i made the decision to start wearing sunscreen every day and i will tell you i've never missed a day since
1: Yep. And I know you've mentioned before, Jan, that some patients might start a tretinoin or a retinol young. Do you think there's a minimum age for which somebody could start a retinol?
0: There really isn't. In fact, there are cases where they even have used them on, on infants. But um, my preference is that if for teenagers, and, and tretinoin is, is, Certainly, a choice and it's helpful for things like acne. But for teenagers, if you really want to get complete total clearing and manage the acne, it's benzoyl peroxide and it's a really simple routine. So, I always say that you have to look at the hereditary aspect of it does acne run in the family? And I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but there was a very famous doctor, Dr. James Fulton. Dr. Fulton his claim to fame was that he, along with Dr. Kligman, actually, was he was the co-inventor of retinoic acid. And Dr. Fulton was also an expert on acne. He had clinics at one time throughout the United States. It was, he was really prolific. He started out as a biochemist and then went on to get his medical degree, and he had horrific acne. So he went and he became a dermatologist. Now, when Dr. Fulton married, he had two children, a girl and a boy. Um, one of his fears was that because of this hereditary tendency, we don't know that acne is is really hereditary, but it makes sense to sense that it probably stands a reason it probably is. Um, he was concerned that his kids would inherit that tendency, and so he started them at the age of eight years old, simply using a benzoyl peroxide wash and a benzoyl peroxide leave-on, and his 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 boy and his and his daughter throughout their teenage years, were completely clear. They had beautiful skin. Nothing works like benzoyl peroxide. And the good news is that today, at at least with Jamarini Skin Research, we have a benzoyl peroxide that doesn't dry the skin. Back then, you had to really kind of do a lot of workarounds because benzoyl peroxide could be extremely drying, particularly during the acclimation period. And so it's really simple. With teenagers, we keep it a benzoyl peroxide wash, a benzoyl peroxide leave-on, a sunscreen. Sunscreen's great because it also has the oil control.
1: Is there any reason you would say benzoyl is a better treatment for acne versus retinol, which is also often prescribed for acne? Are there any like mechanisms of each ingredient? Different mechanism.
0: That's a really good question. So. We don't exactly understand how retinoids work on acne, ex- except that they change they seem to change the environment in the follicle. Either by changing it in terms of some of the factors maybe are not as prominent, or in terms of, of, of changing maybe the lipid profile. Um, but it the, the main causative factor in acne, one of the causative factors, or I should say the main factor, is that the cells that line the inside of the follicle stick together. And the, the, it's possible that a retinoid may help to sort of unglue that to some extent. But what happens is, is that retinoids, first of all, are only known to clear acne by about 43%. That's the statistic. So when you see these before and after pictures with retinoids, I mean, they're good pictures. Certainly these people have far less acne than they had, but they're not completely clear. And one of the reasons is because it's not addressing the c acne bacteria. Now c acne bacteria is something we all have. It, we can't avoid it. It's, it, it, no matter how clear your skin is, you have colonies on the outside, you have colonies in your follicles, but it's when the cells stick together and they trap the c acne bacteria and the bacteria eats the oil that's also trapped and excretes a fatty acid byproduct. That is one of the main causative factors because that fatty acid byproduct eventually causes, it's toxic, it's corrosive, and it causes the follicle to rupture. If everything stayed in your follicle, you wouldn't break out. So when you have that rupture, then that inflammatory process is what results in the lesion on the outside of the skin. Benzoyl peroxide, Completely eradicates the C. acne bacteria temporarily. You can't get rid of it permanently, but it's bacteria static. So as long as you're using it, then you're keeping those colonies down. It's a preventative. So I, I having been an Accutane failure, a two-time Accutane failure, I still use benzoyl peroxide in the form of duality every single night and I never break out. I never ever break out. So it's, it's really the best antibacterial we have ever seen. And that's a statement by the American Academy of Dermatology. Now, if you've got somebody who is not completely clear with benzoyl peroxide, a wash, a leave-on, et cetera, then we can add in a retinoid. And that possibly may take them to a different level of clearing. But I rarely had to do that.
1: You perfectly put into words my theory that retinol is mainly intended for cell turnover. But it's, like you said, it's not really targeting the C. acne bacteria.
0: Correct. And there are other things that it does because you actually have retinoid. You have three retinoid receptors in your skin. Now, to give you an example, this is this is kind of a little interesting aside, but there's a relatively new prescription retinoid called ACLEIF, A K L E I F. So you've got these three receptor sites in your skin, and for example, there's 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 basically this is a fourth level uh, retinoid because level number one was tretinoin or retinoic acid, you know, we think of it as retin A. Um, level two came in with um, tazeratine, which was originally uh, approved for psoriasis and then approved for acne and then approved for aging so they kind of hit a variety of receptor sites they're not very selective and this is one of the reasons why you have some of the side effects and and some receptor sites may be better for aging and some receptor sites may be better for something else and then there was adapalene which is really not in my opinion that great for acne and it's now over the counter but it's also hasn't been shown to be a, a, it really significant or for aging, or really having any anti-aging effects. Then we have Acleve. Now, Acleve is interesting, because 90% of your receptor sites are RAR. And Acleve is the first selective retinoid that only hits the RAR. Now, they have not made claims at this point, because they're not allowed to for anti-aging, but I suspect it's going to be superb. And we've kind of seen some indications of that. Um, So, you know, how these retinoids work is still kind of mysterious. And again, it's a lot to do with receptor sites, but you're probably right. It has maybe more to do in terms of acne with the cell proliferation.
1: What about pore size, Jan, is there any way that we can actually affect our pores? This is one of the, the biggest questions I hear. What's your take on that?
0: Well, first of all, they're not little trap doors. We can't open or close them. We wish you could, you know, like little zippers or something. Um, so there's, there's three things that affect pore size. One is heredity. You know, you see people that just have this naturally very, very refined looking skin in terms of pore size. The second thing is retentive matter. So if you've got retentive matter in your follicles, which is a non-inflammatory form of acne, what happens is, is that those follicles have dilated in order to accommodate that. So if you remove that retentive material, and this is one of the reasons why the skincare management system Is so dramatic because it dissolves and dislodges the gulag substance or cellular cement in the follicle. And people notice, isn't you hear it all the time. Within the first day or two, they'll say, Well, maybe it's my imagination, my pores look so much smaller. So that's something you notice right away. The refinement is 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 really tremendous. Now, there's a third thing though that has a very distinct effect on follicle size. And that is that your follicle goes down into the dermis. It's a long, hollow tube. And your dermis is 80% collagen. So it acts like a girdle around the follicle. And it's like Spanx. It keeps everything nice and tight. Now, you hit the age of 20, and what happens is you start losing roughly 1-2% or so a year of collagen. More, if you're a smoker, what about if you've been a sunbather? Maybe you're still sunbathing. Maybe you don't wear your sunscreen all the time. Diet, lifestyle, stress, all those things, and you could lose the collagen more. Now, as you lose the collagen, it's like your spanks giving out. You don't have that same strong support system. And so your follicle kind of starts to get a little bit flabby. And this is one of the reasons why, even if you've got somebody, maybe that you're working with, um, a client that doesn't really have that retentive material but you're starting to see their follicles are getting larger it's because a lot of that has to do with collagen so when we use the skin care management system because glycolic also statistically stimulates a lot of collagen we use retinoids which you can thicken the dermis up to twice as much and other topical agents that can have that effect we notice that the follicle can dramatically um, sort of relax and look like it's closed. And that's something that, um, that's, you know, I look at that sort of like like a gas gauge. When I look at my face, I'm always constantly evaluating. And for the most part, I can't see my follicles. So you can, you can get that kind of refinement.
1: Yeah, I just had a client who came to me with anti-aging concerns. So we put her on skincare management couple weeks later, she says, I'm loving it, but what about my pore size? And I said, just, just wait, <laughs> give it a little more time. Um, what about microneedling for pore size, Jan? Is that something you can get behind?
0: Well, you know, when you, when you do microneedling and microneedling is done for a, a number of reasons and because it, you can have microneedling, microneedling with radio frequency, there's, you know, different levels of it. And so it, number one, It is a controlled wounding of the skin. So what does that do? A controlled wounding causes your body to sort of amp up and produce a lot of collagen. So if you're producing collagen, then it probably is going to have an effect on the appearance of the the follicle or the appearance of of the pore. So from that perspective, it can be helpful.
1: Okay. What about somebody who's listening who feels like they have extremely sensitive skin what would you say to that what products would you recommend where can they start well
0: i like to answer a question with a question so i would ask that person i would say well so tell me what do you think makes your skin sensitive what does it do how does it react do you get do you get hives do you turn red do you burn do you swell up you know what I hear nine times out of 10? I break out. Yes. So Now I have to explain that that's acne. That's not sensitivity. And so, so many times people just are unaware that maybe they're using a product. They they think, okay, I have so-called sensitive skin. I'll use essential oils or I'll use these botanicals. And they're not aware that in the product or in the formulation are things that are actually comedogenic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: acneogenic occluding the skin. Um, so you kind of have to get to the bottom of it. Now, sensitivity is kind of overused. And it's it's been one of these things where the cosmetic companies have tried to convince individuals that we're all very sensitive, and therefore we need to use these special products. And so it's a way, in, in a sense, to to to, to get a, another uh, segment uh, of, of, of products out there. True sensitivity is measured um, by one of the tests that they do. This is a test that was developed by Dr. Kligman years ago, but it's still used today is you take a dollop of lactic acid and you put it kind of on the sort of on the inner cheek area toward the nose and you just let it sit there. Now it's going to sting because it's kind of a big occlusive dollop of, of lactic acid. So it stings. If it stings, More than ten minutes—that's an indicator that that person is sensitive. Most people, though, it may sting mildly for a few seconds, or it may sting mildly. But can you imagine stinging for ten minutes, and you're still not at ten minutes? You're you're just barely at the point where they're going to qualify you as being sensitive. So most of the time, people are not really sensitive where they're getting contact dermatitis or they're getting eczema, or they're getting specific um, indications, it's, it's, it's breakouts. So we have to treat the breakouts.
1: Yes. What would you say in terms of, of purging? Is that something you feel like is a valid thing that occurs? Do you feel like it's not so valid?
0: I'm going to answer that two ways. I really feel for people that go on a skincare program where somebody is told this is going to help your acne, but there may not really be anything that is going to specifically help them. And then they start to break out and the practitioner says, Oh, don't worry. You're just purging. And three weeks later, they're still breaking out. And a month later, they're still breaking out. And they're just, you know, well, I'm purging. Um, that is, that is, that, that should not happen. Now, when you are on a program where you really are going to clear the skin, and believe me, you can get complete total clearing, there's no cure for acne, but you can manage it, um, it, it you may have some initial mild transient breakout. So think about this. You've got follicles that may have dead cells and they may have oil and they may have retentive material. It it typically has to go somewhere, but sometimes it just kind of clears up. And if you are using benzoyl peroxide or duality along with your program, in general, you're going to see that your existing lesions are going to clear up much, much faster. You're going to notice that you are breaking out less. And if you are breaking out, it clears up faster and you're breaking out less than you normally would. So what I say to people is I'll say, so tell me, um, you know, I'll ask them how their skin is doing. And they might say, well, I'm still breaking out a little. And I'll say, well, tell me what your, your, your existing lesions look like and how your skin appears. And they'll say, Oh my gosh, my existing lesions are almost gone. My, my, my pores look smaller. My skin is less red. I'm having fewer breakouts. I just have these little ones that are kind of coming up a little bit. And so there's positive progression, and that's what you want to look for. Even if you're getting so-called purging, you should be getting positive progression, really positive progression toward complete, total clearing. If you're not, then something's not right
1: what do you think is the normal length of time it should take to clear someone's acne
0: you know it's it it's it it's really um, it's really individual so I dealt with a situation I'll just tell you this one really quick there was a okay so most men you've heard me say most males don't have acne past the age of 23 right because they get terminal beard growth, pushes everything out of the follicle. But there are certain situations in which their acne can persist through adulthood, and there's acne fulminins and acne congoblata, and those are kind of rare, but there's also pseudofolliculitis barbae, or folliculitis barbae that can be bacterial in nature. Now, there was a young man, and he was um, just getting ready to graduate to be a physician's assistant. Since the age of 15, he had had severe folliculitis. And he was actually had been on Accutane twice, and I mean, he had what appeared to be just acne all over his entire face. And he'd also been on antibiotics. He became antibiotic resistance. I mean, he had tried everything. And while he was in this program to become a physician assistant, being exposed to all of these doctors at this particular university where he was at, he certainly welcomed their input as to what he should do. And finally, This physician said to him, you know what, I don't normally do this, but I want to refer you to Jamarini Skin Research because she's really extraordinary at being able to address some of these things. And he called our technical support department. And the technical support department got him to me. So I kind of took him on myself because he had this really interesting case. But I want you to know that we put him, I basically put him on a very aggressive benzoyl peroxide program. And I don't have the file in front of me, but I may have suggested BioClear. But long story short, in two weeks he was clear. Now, sometimes your more severe cases will clear up very quickly. Sometimes the cases that are somewhat minimal or just kind of persistent and annoying may take longer. And there's all kinds of other things that can enter into it. Uh, With adult females, you've got this. Hormonal component. I don't mean the hormonal component having to do with your periods. It has to do with the enzymes that are in the follicle that are harmless, known as 5a reduxy, reductase, isom type one, isom type two. And outside your follicle, you have you have hormones that are normal. You have estrogen, you have progesterone, and women have almost as much estrogen or progesterone. Excuse me, testosterone as men, but our testosterone is bound by proteins, so that's why we don't get a you know, a deep voice and a beard and a hairy chest. But if you have a little bit of a sensitivity that doesn't show up on a blood test or a little bit of free testosterone, it gets together with those enzymes and produces dihydrotestosterone, which is the most aggressive form of, of, of you know, testosterone. And it just results, it's like an instant acne, it's like instant combustion. And where is it usually? Where do we see it mostly on adult women? On the chin, oil, jawline. It's stubborn. These people, they go on Accutane. Gets better, comes back because what you have, you are not blocking the interaction of those two in the follicle, and so actually duality has something in it that can block that, which is sufficient for most people. But then there's we we have another little trick in our pocket that if we need to, we can tell somebody, talk to your doctor about low dose spironolactone. So it's so individual. And the other thing is, is that sometimes there's a dietary component.
1: Let's touch on it. What are, what what do you see are factors within a diet that can affect acne? Okay,
0: two. Two things primarily that we, you know, kind of focus on currently. One is dairy. And we know conclusively that dairy causes or exacerbates acne. There's no doubt. The study was done on 47,000 nurses. It was repeated on the nurses' sons and daughters, and then there was two separate studies of 3,000 teenage girls and 3,000 teenage boys. And it's not because we give hormones to cattle, it's because we milk them when they're pregnant. And a cow in the wild will never allow a calf to nurse. It'll push the calf away, so what you're doing is you're getting all these steroidal hormones that are in the milk. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether the milk is organic or whether the milk is, you know, you buy it at Whole Foods, you buy it at Safeway or whatever. It's just that it's what the cow is producing. And so we in the U.S., we consume far more dairy than virtually anywhere else in the world and it's milk, and it's yogurt, and it's all of these dairy products, ice cream, etc. So some people are probably more sensitive to that than others. The second part of this has to do with regard to diet, has to do with the glycemic load. So acne is an inflammatory disorder. It's inflammatory based. Rosacea is inflammatory based. A lot of these skin conditions Lines and wrinkles, aging, that's all inflammatory based. Um, so what when we, in terms of the glycemic load, it has to do with how much sugar the food, how much sugar the food that we're eating produces. So it's not the glycemic index. So sometimes when you ingest something that you think is really a good food, it can turn into more sugar than actual sugar. And the example I always use is a piece of whole wheat bread that may be the best piece of whole wheat bread you can find and a quarter cup of sugar. And if you eat the bread, it'll turn into more sugar than sugar. So when we have a diet that's high in so-called carbohydrates, and that's total carbohydrates, so you have to take everything into consideration. It's, It's bread, but it also is if you were, let's say, eating nothing but fruit. Um, which is high in carbohydrates. But what that does is it tends to cause our insulin levels to spike. And as your insulin levels spike and they don't stay steady, your body actually produces more testosterone to take the insulin levels down. But if I were to, everybody's heard this before, but if I were to talk about the type of food you want to eat. If you go into a supermarket, you want to stay on the perimeter. What's on the perimeter? Meat, uh, fish, um, lean meats, um, meat substitutes, produce, uh, vegetables, fruits, etc. And so it's about just eating a very healthy diet, but keeping it low carb. And actually, in terms of from an anti-aging standpoint and a longevity standpoint if we if i were to line up some of the absolute top researchers from Harvard University, Yale University, Princeton that are really on the cutting edge of aging and longevity they would all agree that today the number one probably best way to eat in terms of cutting down inflammation aging is an inflammatory disorder Um, is low-carb eating and healthy eating.
1: I'm actually reading, I don't love the word diet, but just in terms of the scope of what somebody's eating, I'm reading the South Beach diet right now, which was originally designed for heart attack patients. But there's lots of interesting information in there about the diet being applied to PCOS or those with acne or other conditions that are affected by insulin.
0: You know, and that's a good point. And I agree with you. I, I, I probably without thinking use the word diet, but it's really, I always try to stress it. You have to figure out a way of eating and that is how you live your life. So it's not about, you know, the, the word diet indicates that somehow you're going to start something and eventually you're going to stop it. It's it's it, it it by its very. The way that we define it is that somehow it's temporary, and it's it's designed to reach a, a goal. As opposed to there, there should be a way of eating, that you can live with. And I always say, I eat anything I want within my way of eating. I don't restrict myself Same. to anything. Right, right. So last night for dinner. I'm still thinking about this because I had this great dinner. I I took an entire spaghetti squash and I cooked it. And then I put tomato sauce over the top. And so I, and I actually love that when I do that. And then I stuck a big steak in the middle and ate my steak and my spaghetti squash. And so I don't deprive myself and I eat a lot of food and people look at me and I, I have to tell you, I was out to dinner in the last few weeks. And this, this, this couple that we were out with this, the wife, she's, she's very direct. And she said, you know, she said, I looked at Jan and I said, she, she must not eat anything, but she's just a veritable garbage dump. (laughs) And the thing is, I do, I eat a lot of food. I don't deprive myself, but I eat in a way in which I, I tend to be low carb. I tend to eat what I consider to be very, very healthy. And, um, and I, I just think that, and, and that's going to benefit, hopefully it's going to benefit me in terms of my health span yeah, yeah. and
1: my skin and my hair and all of that. Well, it's a typical, kind of a typical diet for somebody who wants to hold on to muscle and stay lean, which is high protein. Sounds like you eat a lot of veggies mm-hmm. and probably maintain good metabolism because you eat enough. And you know,
0: as we as women get older, I'm sure men as well. But but from from my own perspective as a female, um, we need more protein.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, to eat enough protein, it has to be a conscious effort where you're trying to get it at every meal. Transitioning a little bit, I wanted to make sure we touched on birth control how do you see that playing a role in acne?
0: That's, that's another great question. Okay, so the birth control that was originally approved for acne was orthotricycline. Now, orthotricycline, there's nothing about it that's magic for acne. There's many birth control pills that are exactly the same, It just as they went through all of the FDA trials and everything to get the approval. And that probably costs a huge amount of money. Now, the statistics are that one third of the time on ortho acne will get better. Probably because the estrogen in the ortho puts more binding around testosterone. One third of the time the acne doesn't get better and it doesn't get worse. And one third of the time it gets worse. So I'll never forget, I had a, a case study of an individual who had beautiful, perfectly clear skin. She went on orthotricyclin, had horrific acne. Now, in terms of the birth control pills that, in my opinion, have the best response in terms of helping with acne, it would be Yaz and Yasmin. Now, Yaz and Yasmin both have a... I guess you could say a chemical in them that is related to spironolactone. And what spironolactone does is it puts a wallop between the enzymes in the follicle and the testosterone. So they can't get together and shake hands and make dihydrotestosterone. And that's why low dose spironolactone is a miracle for individuals who, who can't get past that. Um, and so Yaz and Yasmin, have that. And what a lot of physicians will do with their patients that are really, um, very suffering from acne is they not only put them on Yaz or Yasmin, but they'll also put them on maybe 25 milligrams, very low dose spironolactone along with that. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, birth control is one of those things. And, and, oh, by the way, so I'm glad you asked this because another thing that happens is the birth control in which either it's an IUD that's impregnated with hormones or the pellets that go under the skin that also are impregnated. And once they're in there, you know, you can't you can't take that back. Um, Even in the journals there is discussion on having a much higher rate of acne and over and over again, I've seen individuals that didn't have acne Mm -hmm. who developed acne Mm -hmm. or if they had acne, it was like throwing gasoline on the acne. And even though you may be able to make it a little better until they change that birth control method, it's just almost impossible to get them clear.
1: Yeah, I agree. I see so much of that. And when you say low dose spiro or spiranolactone, what do you consider low dose? Under a hundred?
0: Low dose is typically fifty to one hundred and fifty milligrams. So one hundred and fifty would be on the high side. Okay. And I'm going to say a, a good average dose for a lot of people. You talk to their physician. Was probably fifty milligrams. So when we say low dose, if, if it t- this is a high blood pressure medication, it's been around well over 50 years, it's considered to be very safe. And when we say low dose, if you were taking this for high blood pressure, you might be taking 500, 1,000 or more milligrams a day. So this is considered to be very low dose.
1: My last question for you, Jan, is about makeup. What types of makeup should an acne-prone person be looking for? I think this is so important.
0: So years ago, I used to actually keep a list of foundations because there were so many acneogenic ingredients out there. And I'll tell you what the worst was. The worst was this was at a time where it was huge because they came out with oil-free makeup. Everything was oil-free this, oil-free that. Well, oil-free at that time was defined as no mineral, vegetable, or um, you know, animal oil in there. And what that did is it left this huge gap for synthetic oils. So synthetic oils would be things like isopropyl myristate, isopropyl palmitate. Um, there's there's a whole range of these ingredients that are highly comedogenic. They have the highest rating for acneogenesis. But they feel great because a lot of times people think, oh, that product feels real thick. It's going to occlude my skin. No, it could be a very thin product. It has nothing to do with the viscosity. And so these oils had tremendous, these synthetic oils, tremendous spreadability. They felt great on the skin. And they were putting them in a lot of foundations. And so I, I had to keep a list. Now, today, the good news is it is rare that I ever come across a foundation that has something like that in it. I do recommend that people don't use powder-based makeups. I don't mean just talc powder, talcum powder, yeah, or talc, excuse me, talc-based powder, um, but I'm talking about um, foundations that typically are in a compact that are actually meant to be a foundation, but they have a, a powder base to them. Uh, they tend in most cases to be pore-clogging and actually Mac makes one. And when I would get new sales executives in for training and they had acne, I could tell you nine times out of 10, that was the foundation they were wearing.
1: Do you feel like that goes for all makeup, maybe like bronzer, blush, stick products? So
0: some of that is individual. Now it used to be that with blush, there were certain dyes that they would put in there that were comedogenic. But for the most part, those are not used any longer. Um, So we don't have to worry about that so much. But there can be some individuals, for example, a lot of people think, well, mineral powder is a great safe. But I will tell you that when mineral powder is made, it would be like putting rocks on your face if they didn't put in the uh, bismuth, bismuth, oxybismuth. Now, oxybismuth is a reaction that happens when you smelt Iron and copper, and so what it is, it, it gives the the mineral powder opacity and smoothness, so that when you put the mineral powder on, and some feels even smoother than others. Sometimes can they don't feel as smooth as a talc based powder, but they can you know feel smooth some uh, uh, smoother than others. And oxybismuth in some individuals that can react and it can and it can just for that individual can possibly be acneogenic, and it could be. That what happens is you react negatively to an ingredient. It causes inflammation. The inflammation aggravates the tendency to acne. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's it's different for different people. And I always say that there's nothing is impossible.
1: Yeah, totally agree. You know, how many
0: times have you heard somebody who works for a cosmetic line like an you know Estee Lauder or mm-hmm. L'Oreal or something? My goodness, we've never had that problem. We've never seen anybody ever with that problem. Every <laughs> nothing is everything is possible.
1: Yeah, I think that's why it's even difficult to make hard rule. It really it can depend on the individual.
0: It does, and <clears throat> what we do is we use ingredients that. On this, the the, the, the acneogenic rating scale goes from zero to five. Zero would mean that there, it has never shown a tendency to cause acne or exacerbate acne. And even ones to, typically are very, very safe because you've got to be able to make a product. You can't just, otherwise we'd be handing people, you know, basically bottles of water. So, I try to work with nothing but zeros, but does that mean that there will never be anybody that will react because you could still be allergic to something? And at at the same time, um, there are people who occasionally that use products that are on the higher end of the cometogenesis scale, they may not react. But in general, if you've got acne, a tendency to acne, or even if you don't have acne, you're playing with fire when you're working with comedogenic ingredients. And a good one is that we hear so much about things like, oh, it's natural coconut oil. Well, coconut oil rates a five. So, you, just, you know, it's, it's also you kind of have to look at a formula and take it apart. Where is it listed in the formula? Is it the bottom? Is it at the top? Is it going to be where is, you're going to be exposed to a lot of that ingredient, a little bit of that ingredient? Um, it's it just it's very complex. Making a skincare product is to to make it efficacious, actually have a certain result, is more difficult than making a prescription pharmaceutical product because prescription pharmaceutical products, you have an active ingredient that you've gotten through the FDA. You didn't put it with a bunch of other ingredients. Otherwise, they would never approve it because they couldn't tell what's working. So in general, it's going to be in a formula that is so simple. It's going to be water. It's going to be some Mm -hmm. kind of cream or ointment. The active and a preservative. That's it. Skin care ingredients and makeup. Look at that list. Look at com- how complex it is. How do you know if it's really going to work? It's going to make your skin condition worse, if it's going to make it better. And so really studying that and researching that is it's well, it's pr- pretty much a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there's a lot of complexity to that.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a big benefit in a more complex formula that has a balance, such as we were talking about duality. It's not just the benzoyl and the retinol. There's peptides and other ingredients to balance those active ingredients. So it's not just like one hard blow to the skin. It's cushioned.
0: And you, you know, you, you, you have to think about when you think about acne, for example, what I tried to do with duality is, number one, there is c. Acne bacteria, which is a huge part of the ac- of acne. Secondly, we've got the cell proliferation. We have certain conditions in the follicle where the follicle, you know, why did the cells start sticking together in the first place? And so you you have a retinoid that hopefully can help to sort of mitigate that. Then you've got the issue with the hormonal issue where they get together and they produce dihydrotestosterone. So we have something in there that blocks that. Then you have inflammatory issues that are caused from aging and sun exposure. And so we know that the skin is gonna function better and probably um, react better over time progressively if we have things in there for that. And so it's about trying to address a multitude of complex factors.
1: Yep. So beautifully said. Jan, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I'd love to do another one of these sometime soon.
0: (laughs) It's always fun. I would love to as well. Thank you.
1: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or interest in purchasing a Jan Marini product, you can send me a message or an email. I'll put that information below. Jan, thank you so much for your time. As always, you're so generous with it.
0: Thank you, everyone who is listening. Thank you so much because I wouldn't be here without you and it's just so appreciated.
1: Thank you, Tess. Thank you, Jan. Thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you next week.